We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Ryan, let's get to our mailbag. We have some some great, great, great questions here. We have a lot of Super Chats, which we really appreciate. Chris Wheeler with a Super Chat just for the excellent offense and defense. Intel pieces hot off the press. Awesome work, guys. Chris, buddy, thank you very, very much for that because that means he's giving us a Super Chat on top of paying for the membership, which we we greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate you, Chris. Uh, my guy, Riza. Big shout out to you guys. Side note, Ryan was a great hire and provides awesome content. Keep it going. You are correct about that. Actually, Vince was telling me that. He probably won't want me to tell you this. Vince was telling me that the other night. And my response was, just don't tell him that. I don't want his head getting too big. (laughs) Uh, But no, but seriously, Ryan has been a a tremendous, tremendous hire. A lot of the things that we're doing, that the growth we've had is because him putting out great content and doing his work has freed me up to do some other things, and I hope to add even more to our staff. If my next hire is even is anywhere close to as good as Ryan was, we're going to really get this thing rocking and rolling. But I know how uneasy he is with uh, with that kind of praise. It's like, okay, what I, do I do? What do I say here? I don't, I don't like compliments, man. <laughs> like, but I appreciate uh, Brian. I, I truly do appreciate you, and I appreciate this super chat. This is yeah. again fulfilling a lifelong dream. So thank you all. I really do right. appreciate it. And we didn't match today. We're, we have different shirts on. Oh yeah, we do. Yeah, That's I awesome, got the man. I got the blue IB Nation. You just have you just have an IB shirt, right? Yep, just the IB. So, yep. Okay. Yep. Tony Shea with a super chat. Just a quick thank you for being cool with my DMs, Brian. You are you are very very welcome. I try my best to answer everybody's everybody's DMs uh, as much as I can, but I want to uh, thank you for that. Let's get to got a few more super chats. Connor Patton, super chat. If you were Ohio State's defensive coordinator. What would your game plan be for Notre Dame? You really think I'm going to give Jim Knowles that? No, I'm, I'm kidding. He, he knows. Ryan, first thing is, is you've got to find ways to create disruption at the point of attack. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the biggest thing. If you think you can do it with your defensive line, great. If you think that there's a matchup up front, like, hey, we really think if we get, you know, Teron Vincent against Zeke Carell, and if there's ways that we can get him one-on-one, so we'll put him in a shade – and we'll crash the linebacker into the B-gap, which forces that other guard to kind of help there. And we think Teron can win one-on-ones in the run game against, you know, the the the, the center. Then, you know, you do that or against a guard or against a tackle or whatever. If you think you can get a numbers advantage up front, hey, they don't handle this mo- movement well, right? Mm-hmm. So teams that really slant the end hard inside and loop the tackle out gives them problems. Or it could be the other way around. Teams that really 
slant the nose or the three technique out really hard or one technique out really hard and then loop the nose or blitz a linebacker that's not directly behind that stunter, well, they have a hard time seeing that and picking that up. So it's finding those deficiencies. And I don't know if, I mean, it, I'm making those up. Those are things they struggled with in the past. I don't know if those are going to be the same now because it's a different line coach. But sure. that, it'll be stuff like that. It's, hey, we've identified this run concept, but they leave this edge short. So we're going to attack it this way. Things like that. Yeah. But th- at the end of the day, it's create, it's twofold with that. It's you've got to win at the point of attack that prevents Notre Dame from getting to, like, what's the goal of, of the line? We want to reset the line of scrimmage in our favor, meaning if we're, the line of scrimmage is here and we're on this side as an offense, we want to reset it with the line here. And then the backs can kind of get on their tracks and it forces quicker decisions by the defense and that opens up run game opportunities. If you're a house that you want to prevent that. The second mm-hmm. part is, is you want to make Tyler Buckner think, you want to make him think as much as possible. You yeah. want him thinking like, you're showing me this, but you're dropping this. And, you know, and, and we've heard reports about a three, three, five or whatever the case may be. All I know is, is Jim Knowles did a lot of stuff last year at Ohio state where he would show certain looks and then bring different things. They would do like, they could get in like a bear front out of a three man look at times with the way that they brought their linebackers and walked up different guys. He's going to show this coverage and bring you something different. He's got to find ways where he can, number one, confuse Tyler Buckner without then confusing his own secondary. Because the the, the cool thing is if, if you're the defensive coordinator, you may call something that makes the quarterback make a mistake, but there's also a chance that your guy can make a mistake. And if Tyler Buckner sees it, it's, you know, strike up the Notre Dame band. Yep. So I think those are the things. Confuse the quarterback, win at the line of scrimmage. How he's going to go about doing that, I'm not going to get into that kind of stuff, but I think just kind of big picture, that would be what my game plan would be built around, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, based upon what we saw last year, I would be disguising a lot of coverage and having a lot of post-snap movements from a rotation perspective. And, I mean, to your point, Brian, if I'm watching that offensive line from this from last year, and, again, that's not the same – it's not, in theory, going to be the same offensive line as it was last year. So this is the tough part about having the first game of the year sometimes is you're preparing for what you already have seen, but that isn't necessarily the team that you're going to get per se. But I think that I would play a decent amount of man coverage, and I think I would bring a lot of pressure, right? Like that's mm-hmm. what I think I would do, second-level pressure – and I also would move the defensive line a lot. I know you mentioned that, like slant a little bit, maybe mm-hmm. some twists, like put out a bunch of different looks up front. I want to try to confuse this team, and I want to be aggressive because last year the offensive line was not aggressive, right? So mm-hmm. you can kind of dictate the pace and the aggressiveness up front with movement and with pressure. And that's kind of just a couple of the easy things I would do. is it, I would dictate the pace up front, first and second level, and then does, you're going to – I'm going to play a lot of man – but I, I might design things a little bit, you know, maybe I'm showing too high at the snap and then I rotate down to a, to right. a single high cover one look like that type of thing. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, Fashan Alabama flip <laughs> with a super chat. Uh, Bry and Rye regarding recruiting has slipped to number four, Bama to number one, Jordan number three, while we remain at number two. Any intel on what's going on at OSU? Sorry if, if you've talked about that already. So is he saying Ohio State's fallen to number four? I think they fell to number four. I think he said it in his follow-up after okay. that he meant to write that Ohio State fell. Okay, let me, let me yeah. find that follow-up because I want to put that in proper context. It yep. does highlight it up here, so I will find that. Here we go. Okay, so uh, my super chat was supposed to say Ohio State is slipped four. Okay. Yep. Uh, I mean, honestly, this is just part of the business. Honestly, for Sean, it's just part of the business, right? It, it's – it's cyclical. This is why you can't ride those waves. I think, I think, for example, I think Alabama and Georgia have both ridden a wave into the top four. I mm-hmm. think Alabama's more poised to stay there than Georgia is, in my opinion. When you just look at who they're on the board for, who's left, uh, and those type of things. Like Georgia strikes me as a little bit in the a little bit of the the old Notre Dame way, not as far of a fall, but they've kind of tapped out just how good this class can be without some flips. I think what's happened at Ohio State is they're just kind of coming back to to earth a little bit, right? It's just the other teams are catching them. There's some guys they'll end up getting on, and there'll be some guys they'll flip. They'll stay. They'll have a chance to get back up there. I I think Georgia – I think – well, and also Notre Dame's only number two on the composite. They're actually – here's why I have a hard time with – again, I I constantly pick the flaws in the recruiting business. Notre Dame is ranked number one by rivals by on 247's own ranking – and on ESPN, the only the only outlet that doesn't have Notre Dame number one that's factored in the ranking is on three. Yet Notre Dame's not number one in the composite, which I just don't even, understand. Even though you're number one at three out of in three, three out of the four, yeah. right? Yeah. But it is Notre yeah. Dame and, and Alabama. But you know, look, Ohio Ohio State's going to end up flipping somebody. They're going to get in on a kid that right now that they're not in on that they're going to then be able to land who's going to be a highly ranked player. They're going to end up being fine. Yeah, I, I do think these are going to be three of the four. I actually think when it's all said and done, Georgia's going to get leaked by Texas. I do. Very I, I do. Especially if Georgia's not quite as good as they were last year, because I have a lot of theories on that. But but honestly, you know, with Ohio State, I think a lot of this is, and I know some people are going to disagree, disagree with me on this, is Ohio State is doing things for players. You know, the car game in Ohio State's always been strong. But Ohio State's not just handing out these million-dollar NIL deals. And I think they're, I think when Cardinal Tate committed, there was this, this assumption that Ohio State matched what Tennessee offered him. That's not true. Did yeah. they have an NIL package for him? Yes. 
but it wasn't like it, the others, which is why he's still looking around. And this is what Sean Davis said back in March. He's like, look, wherever Cardinal Sock commits to first, it ain't over. Right. right. And Brandon Ennis has said in the past that NIL is going to be a very important decision here. And so they're going to listen to those things. But at the end of the day, as long as you still keep them in the class, they're fine. Like losing Ty Lockwood, that doesn't bother me. Yes, it hurts him in the rankings. But they just got the other Jelani kid's better. Thurman. And yeah, I think Thurman's he's better. better. And I, I think Thurman better fits how they use the tight end. You know, work the seams, you know, be kind of a guy that doesn't catch a lot of balls, but can work the middle of the field. Thurman's actually a guy that's got a little bit of, uh, of a uniqueness to him where you can actually kind of line him up side, outside in some red zone stuff because he's super long. Right. He's not like super explosive, but he's got good body control and he's really long. Like he yeah, looks like a catch. A, catch oh he's my a catch gosh. radius basketball yes. player. Like that's what he is. Yeah. Um, you know, he's just not, like I said, not real ex- like he doesn't have the explosiveness like Eli Raridan, but he brings some of that length to the table that Eli brings to the table. Mm-hmm. You know, so they, they lost him. They, you know, they lost Dijon Johnson. They're gonna get somebody else in the secondary, right? Because they lost dudes last year. Remember, they lost the kid, the Terrence Brooks, right? He he flipped somewhere else, and another DB flipped somewhere else late in the process. This is when you get in the NIL game. This is what happens. I mean, you're, you're just you're just gonna lose some guys. It's the, it's the reality of it. You you then you got to go replace them with somebody else. So I think they'll be fine. But some of those guys are gonna. You know, they're, they're looking around, but they're not necessarily. And some of this is posturing. Hey, I want to stay with Ohio State, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, I need to get my package bigger. So I'm going to flirt with this other school to see what they counter with, you know, and that's some of the It's going to be some of that, too. But I think they're I think they're fine. The, for me, rankings wise, they still got to improve their offensive line class. I, mm-hmm. I think their offensive line class is very overrated. I think the Luke Montgomery is extremely overrated as an offensive lineman. Like people got him in like the fifties and sixties. I don't see that. Josh Padilla is a nice player, but he's a little undersized. Mm-hmm. And I think Austin Sarabelle's a nice player, but he's not what a top fit one fifty player like some people have him. That's the question mark for me. For them is can they go out and get an offensive tackle? Like they were in really good shape early for Samson Okalola. Now he's kind of looking at some of the Southern schools. They got to rebound on that one. Like that's a guy that's out there for them still that if they can kind of get back on top for him, all of a sudden you just added a top 30 player and, and a guy that fills a hole for me, that honestly for Sean is where I care about with Ohio state, Alabama, Georgia, Notre Dame, Texas. I don't care about the recruiting rankings. I did you add impact players and did you meet all your needs? And that's why I love this Notre Dame class outside of quarterback. They've met, all their needs already. Now it's just adding a little something, something on to it, right? Uh, that's what I like about their class. And that's where I think Ohio State is. And I had this debate with a guy that I respect the other day. I said, you know, yes, Alabama has more high-level players, but that doesn't mean their class is better. They right. just have more points because they have five stars and five stars get, uh, you know, a little bit too much love than I than I think they should. You know, same thing with Ohio State. And this is why I've always said, yeah, Ohio State's rankings are right there with their names. But if there's more holes in that class, than, in my opinion, than what you have in Notre Dame. And as Ohio State can fill those holes, that's what matters. Whether they finish third, second, third, fourth, or fifth, it's about adding impact players. They have some of those. And and there's some guys I think at Ohio State that I think are a little underranked, too. I, I don't know how I don't know how Jason Moore is not a consensus top 50 player. I think that's it's weird. It's like weird, He's yeah. a consensus top 50 player. And there's a couple – like. The other Rogers kid, not Noah Rogers, but the Bryson, Bryson Rogers, he's yeah. underranked in my opinion. That guy's a really so yes, I would take Cardinal take down the rankings a little bit, but I'd also raise Bryson Rogers and it balances itself out. 
So I think that's going to be the key. They got to they 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 need to get back some secondary talent, which they they lost from some flips last year and this year. They got to improve that, and they got to fill their offensive line out. After that, the defensive line is the only other hole really that I think that they have a glaring hole that they have outside of maybe adding another linebacker. Because after the four they signed last year, linebacker numbers aren't a need. They're, they're, either they have Arvell Reese or he they will get him. Has he committed to Ohio State yet, Arvell Reese? I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. If one. he hasn't, he will, right? But they lost lost tag at Curtis and guys like that, so they'll be all right. But I think Notre Dame is obviously in a, a better position at that point in time. It's so weird to be able to talk about actual flips that happened when instead of you know potential yeah. flips that everyone is right. creating. Like in their we didn't minds. talk about some but, of the other guys that people are saying are going to flip because they haven't flipped yet for Ohio state. So until they do yeah. like, you know, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Exactly. It's amazing. It's amazing. Amazing. AST one, two, three, two, one with a super chat. Outrageous value from Irish breakdown. The Intel on the board was exciting to read. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was exciting to put together. Like there's a couple times I'd be like, hold on a second. Can you repeat that for me, please? Like, did you seriously just tell me that? Yes, I did. Okay, cool. Mark it down. <laughs> so I was very happy to hear some of that intel. And then you hear it from person, like the, the Tobias Merriweather intel, for example, really glowing. That's not from one person. I've heard that from like three to four different people. And not once did I ask anyone about it. Like I just say, Hey, you know, you know what, how's summer going? Oh man, this dude, Tobias Merriweather. And I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, get text messages like, Hey, Tyson Merriweather's killing it. Oh, okay. Thank you. Like, <laughs> Thanks for letting me know. So, yeah, it's uh, it's some really good stuff on there. So, thank you for that. Sean S. with a super chat. Do you expect Tyler Buckner in 2022 to be a better player than Kaiser was? Trying to gauge expectations from what you're hearing. So, I think we're kind of looking at what Kaiser was in 2015. Mm-hmm. I will say this. I think Tyler Deshaun was a little bit more advanced from an arm strength standpoint, and he was bigger. He was a lot bigger. Yep. I think Tyler is a more accurate passer for the most part. I think Tyler has shown even in limited time last year, but especially in high school to be the superior guy from an anticipation standpoint. And I think Tyler is more explosive athletically, although Deshaun could bring you some really good stuff in the run game because of his size. And he was a good yes. athlete, but his size, I would, I would say, I mean, I graded out Tyler, higher coming out of high school than Deshaun I think Deshaun had a great arm but Deshaun wasn't always the greatest when it came to ball placement the biggest question mark for me the one area that Deshaun right now is significantly better than where Tyler was Deshaun Kaiser threw a gorgeous deep ball now it helped that he had Will Fuller and he could just literally throw it as far as he wanted to and then Will would run underneath it but Deshaun's deep ball and his back shoulder throws I mean, were money. Like, even in games, he, he was terrible against Temple. Terrible. But when the game was on the line, he had two downfield shots. He had a corner route to Alizé Mack to set up the back shoulder fade to Will Fuller for the touchdown. And then we saw, you know, this the bomb he threw against Virginia for the win. He threw a bomb to Will Fuller for a touchdown. The post route where he beat, uh, where Will Fuller beat. Um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank here on the cornerback they had that was so Adore good. Adoree Jackson. Adoree Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. Like, Deshaun threw a great deep ball. And that really opened that offense up because, like, you couldn't load the box because between Will Fuller, Chris Brown, Amir Carlisle, Alizé Mack, C.J. Process out of the backfield, like, if you tried to come up too tight to the line, you just were going to flat get run by. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, I mean, and that played right into Deshaun's hands because he threw a great deep ball. But in almost every other area besides size, I think Tyler's the better player. I really do. Man, that uh, that post route against Adoree Jackson, like I knew that Will Fuller was fast before that, but mm-hmm. at that point I was like, oh, he's yeah. fast, fast. Because <laughs> yeah. like, Adoree could run, man. Right. He put him in the dust. Right. Like, Whoa. Okay, and you're watching the Dory like trying so hard to, to to catch Will Fuller and Will's just like, Pulling away from him, you're like, no grounds. Like, oh man, you're like, yeah, yeah. That was, you know, and Adore ran a four four two at the combine. Yeah, Adore could run, man. Yeah, really. Will Will ran a four three (laughs) two. That's a whole different type of speed, right there, buddy. Uh, A whole different type of speed. Got a super chat from Brandon. Thank you for that, very, very much, Brandon. Brandon asks, how many returning starters would you say Notre Dame has this season? I think you could make a case for sixteen to seventeen. Eight on offense and eight on uh, defense, in my opinion. Well, I you know I think I think uh, at receiver you can make a case for two because mm-hmm. I think Braden was a starter last year and then Avery was a starter. Offensive line wise, I think Joe Walt, Jarrett Patterson have to be considered starters. Josh Lug was considered a starter, and then I think I'd put Christophic and Carell into one mm-hmm. at that point in time because. One started and the other replaced him. So to me, you know, you have, I would argue, uh, four returning starters in the offensive line, right? Mm-hmm. Lug, Alt, Patterson, and then Christophic slash Carell. Do you agree with that, Ryan? Yes. So that's four, that. two receivers, mm-hmm. and then that's Michael six. Mayer. That's seven. Oh, seven. Seven. Yep. I don't count any of the running backs as a returning starter. I don't count any of the other receivers as returning starters like Lorenzo started for the bowl game. But for me, a starter, someone who started over a period of time, not a guy that started a game. Like I don't count Marvin Harrison jr. As a returning starter, even though he started the bowl game that that doesn't count to me. So I'd go seven. Now you also like, cause I could, you know, Tosh Baker started two games last year. Michael Carmody started two games last year. Those guys to me aren't returning starters per se. You could, the only asterisk that I would accept as a counter argument would be Blake Fisher because Blake Fisher started the only two games he was healthy for. He would have started the whole year, but again, that's two games. So I just have a hard time accepting that. But if you wanted to say, I'm going to count him as a, as a start returning starter, I'd be okay with that. I wouldn't argue that defensively it's two. It's Isaiah Foskey up front uh, defensive line wise. It's Isaiah Mm -hmm. Foskey and Jason Amiel up front at linebacker. It's two. It's JD Bertrand and Jack Kaiser. Mm-hmm. And the secondary, I would say it's three. It's Clarence Lewis. It's, I mean, all the safeties kind of combined into one starter opposite Kyle Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Cam Three Hart. Percy. You could argue, however, well, he's a nickel. I don't, I mean, I don't, I'll, I'll handle Tariq in a second. Yeah. I think you could make a case that you have two returning starters at, in the set at safety because you can make the case one of two ways. Once Kyle went down, the two guys that started, are both back. Sure. Plus, DJ started at times. But you have Houston and Ramon are both back. So you could argue mm-hmm. you have two, those two back. Or if you wanted to make a case, I know that Brandon Joseph didn't start at Notre Dame, but he is a two-year starter in the Big Ten. Either way, I think you got to go two and seven. I mean, really, honestly, your entire secondary comes back as returning starters. If you start mm-hmm. in the nickel, you still have that guy back. The reason I don't count Tariq on top of it is because if you go nickel, Ryan, he replaces Jack Kaiser. That's fair. So you're cycling out. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 So that's why I would go there. So you have two defensive linemen, two linebackers, and your entire secondary. So you have eight. 
So, you know, I, I, I think you could make the case for eight, but just for me, I'd go 15 just because I don't count Blake Fisher because he just played so little. Right. That That's, so if, that's but, it. But to, but to Brandon's question, if you did want to count Blake, then you could say 16 yeah. right where he's at. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't, I, I, 17, I don't think I could get to if, unless you're going to start talking about guys that started multiple games. But like to me, when I do a returning starter, I'm not counting three guys at two positions. It's all three being returning starters because you can't start because otherwise you could look at Notre Dame and be like defensively, you could say they have like 13 returning starters because Jason <laughs> Ad- Justin Adamiola was a starter in the nickel. Bo Bauer was a starter in the nickel. Tariq Bracey mm-hmm. was a starter in the nickel. Tariq Bracey started several games. The Wisconsin game, it was Clarence Lewis and Tariq Bracey is in the starting lineup, not Cam Hart. Right. You know, but I'm just trying to be more practical in, in a way that makes it actually look relevant to how much experience you have. But the the point is, Brandon, to 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 build on to your point, I mean you could go eight on offense, eight on defense, but then there's guys that have played a ton. I mean Chris Tyree started the bowl game. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean you, you Lorenzo Styles started the bowl game. Michael Carmody started two games last year. Tosh Baker started two games last year. If you want to get technical, you have John, you know Andrew Kristofka and Zeke Curl are two different people that both started at least five games last year. I mean so and then defensively, Justin Adamiola, as we talked about the nickel, Bo Byron the nickel, Tariq Bracey has started a ton of games in his career. You have over 10 guys on both sides of the ball that have started at least two football games in their career. That's a lot of experience, a lot of experience coming back. And that's what makes the the, the mentions in the intel pieces about the young guys stand out even more is because they're not doing this from the standpoint of holes that need to be filled. They're doing they're they're standing out because wow, that guy's really good. And that's mm-hmm. that's really where you want to be at this point in time, right? Yep. A lot of a lot of great questions today. We have one here from Archer, four five two, resident Ohio State fan. If the Buckeye defense shows up against the Notre Dame offense, which is more likely the OSU defense is good or the Notre Dame offense isn't so good, my money is on the former, as I expect the Notre Dame offense to be good. Well, I, I think that number one, I would I would somewhat push back on the premise of the question, Ryan. Just because yeah. you don't play well in a game doesn't mean you aren't good. Sure, sure. And so the Ohio State offense played like garbage against Northwestern in the Big Ten title game. Does that mean they weren't good, or does that mean they just had a bad game? Mm-hmm. So for me, what I would say is, if the Ohio State defense outplays the Notre Dame offense, it's going to make me concerned about the Notre Dame offense. I I don't think Ohio State is good enough talent-wise to come out and beat Notre Dame if Notre Dame is good, unless it's just an off game or some guys aren't as good as we think they are. So I would lean more towards it being a concern for the Notre Dame offense than than the the, the other. Against Clemson, a little different deal, right? Sure. If you know Notre Dame could play well and still not score a bunch of points against Clemson because it's really good defense. I just don't have that same level of faith in the Ohio State defense, right? These questions are always tough for me, Brian, honestly, because it's like, I, I I think it's, if that happens, I think it's a little bit of a combination, mm-hmm. right? I think that you could say Notre Dame first game, first year, first year starting quarterback, transition stuff from the coaching perspective. Like there's reasons that Notre Dame may not be clicking on all cylinders in game one outside of it just being game one. But also if they completely, if, if Buckeye's defense just comes out and kind of stifles, let's say it stifles mm-hmm. Notre Dame's offense to a degree, then I would say that it's probably because Jim Knowles unlocked a little bit of that defensive mm-hmm. potential, right? So yeah. I think it's a combination. I tend to agree with you, though, a little bit there because I just 
I have trouble thinking that Jim Knowles is going to turn it around that quickly in game mm-hmm. one, right? So right. I imagine it's more towards the shortcomings, per se, of a Notre Dame offense than an Ohio State defense. But I think, for me, Archer, it's never usually one way or the other, for being honest. Like, I think it's I think it's a little bit of both. It's kind of like the, the push-to-shove type of conversation, but I think it's going to be a little bit of both things if, if it ends up happening. Well, and Ryan, that's kind of why I've said in the past, like, how I view Ohio State in the opener on defense is not how I view Ohio State on, uh, you know, in November on defense. Because we're talking about this specific matchup of this this Notre Dame team against Ohio State. And so to me, that's kind of the way I look at it is it is a little bit of a different animal, in my opinion. It's not the same. It's not the same thing for me. Uh, so I would be in game one. I'd be more concerned about Notre Dame. Sean Kane said, can they stay healthy is the most important question for the Notre Dame offense, especially at running back, where they have had a few injuries already in wide receiver where depth is limited. Agree with that's, both of those things. That, that's why we started this podcast with that, Shane, mm-hmm. a little bit, right? We talked about the health of the offense because there are, are a couple of positions where we're a little more worried about the depth that, I mean, mm-hmm. in, in pertinence to the defensive side of the football, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's where the kind of the questions, it's not a talent level question, it's a depth issue right? right that's why the injuries matter that much more so i agree completely with you that's why we kind of made that the mm-hmm. over-encompassing beginning of this podcast yep next question from nd mac caught yesterday's show this morning do you think the lack of sec big 10 quarterback success has to do with the elite guys around them covering up deficiencies compared to say rogers and allen in college yeah i think that's a big part of it is and and also too is sometimes when you have the talent that like Bama and Georgia have had, Nick Saban for a long time wanted to go with the guy that was just not going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And Kirby's still trying to do that. Like Kirby's still trying to be what Bama was in 2010 to 2014. That's what Kirby's trying to do. He's trying to replicate that version of Alabama. Nick Saban has kind of moved on beyond that. Not that he's okay with mistakes, but look, the more you throw it, the more risk there is. I mean, there's a big difference between Tua, Mac Jones, and Bryce Young and Greg McElroy, A.J. McCarron, and Blake Sims, and Jacob Coker. It's like a completely different universe because it's a different style of play. So, yes, I think that you're right. I also think there's some other reasons for it that I'm not sure if I'm comfortable talking about publicly. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think that's part of it. I just think also quarterbacks tend to be produced in certain states more – from a more of a volume standpoint. And there's like a lot of great quarterbacks that have come out of the state of California. I mean, I know Tom sure. Brady played in the big 10, but he's a California guy. Yep. I mean, you know, we've talked about all the California court. I mean, Alabama starting quarterback. He's not from Alabama. He's from California. And, and so we've seen a lot of that as well. And so I don't know that. I don't know how to explain. I, 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 I don't like, why did Pennsylvania used to recruit great quarterbacks? Is it high school coaching? Is it just DNA? Is it I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, you think about some of the legends that came out of the state of Pennsylvania for a long time. You know, yeah. Joe Montana, Dan Marino, Joe Name. I mean, I could go on for a long time talking about that. California, it's, same way. West Western PA yeah, guys, man. Right. Western PA guys. Yep. But you know, California, same way. I mean, it's not just recently. I mean, do, do you remember that John Elway dude, right? I mean, Tom Brady. Never uh, heard of John Elway I mean, before. You know, it's crazy. I I'm you know what? I want to know something. Yeah. I wonder. Let me let me look up something here real quick. I want to I want to see something here. Just give me a second. No, not quite. Well, yeah, actually, John Tom Brady's closer in age to John Elway than he is to Bryce Young. <laughs> That's silly, man. 
but again, so, it's different generations is my point. And, you know, and you're still seeing that stuff come out of California now. So, and that's part of it as well. And obviously the big 10 hasn't gone and gotten a lot of those guys from California. Some of the ones they have, who's the best quarterback in the big 10 right now. Oh, it's uh, CJ Stroud. Where's CJ Stroud from California. There you go. Mm-hmm. All right, Justin Kate says, Brian, I could really use you geeking out over the commitment of your favorite player tonight. Full <laughs> fan bot. Fanboy, I think is what he meant to say. We'll see. We'll see who he decides tonight. So uh, uh, I'm going to reserve any emotions I have one way or the other until he makes his announcement. So, uh, but yeah, you'll definitely want to tune in tonight. And, and just an, another another plug for because there was a question in the chat a little bit ago. It is at 7.30 Eastern time. Mm-hmm that we will be live tonight to see what Jaden Osbury's decision is, just in mm-hmm. case anybody was wondering out there. Thank you for clearing that up. Felix Fournier, how many healthy wide receivers do we need? The numbers of potential dudes we have at tight end kind of makes me feel safe regarding the depth of receiver. I want to address this, Ryan, because there's two different two different answers to this, and one is often overlooked by non-coaches. And, mm-hmm. and, and I don't mean that disrespectfully at all. It's just that's not something you have to think about. But as a, as a coach, if I'm talking about – if we're just talking about game planning, I need five, and I'm good. And the reason I say five is because between how much I can take some of the pressure off of my – with my tight ends and my 21 personnel, I don't need to put a full bur- – I mean, you can get away with four. But five is a really healthy spot to be at for me. But that's not a healthy spot to be at for my team. If I only have five healthy receivers, that's bad because that means I'm throwing walk-ons down there in my starting scout team against my defense. And my defense isn't getting to face stud young players like they are at Bama. I mean, the freshmen that came off the off the bench in the national title game that are really highly talented, some of those guys were who the defense was facing all year in practice, which helps make you better. And yeah, you're going to face those guys in one-on-ones during the week and some of the one-on, you know, your your good versus good periods or whatever they call them, which I always hated that expression. I'm like, so what? I'm not good if I'm not in that group. But it, just, it, it, it doesn't help your team, right? And so, yeah, it doesn't hurt you in regards to putting a game plan out and going out there and playing and all that, but it definitely does, it definitely help, does not help your football team to be that thin on numbers, even if you have enough to go out there and handle your business on a Saturday. Because it does bring, it does make it tougher for your defense to prepare Monday to Thursday when you're facing, you know, walk-ons. I will say this, however, I do think Notre Dame's a unique situation because Vince and I have talked about this. If you saw Connor Radigan play in high school, that kid's a good football player. Mm-hmm. Massillon was a good football player in high school. Those it, those guys aren't like when you think of the word walk-on. You know, they're not Rudy. With all due respect, they're not guys who weren't that even that good on their high school teams. Connor Radigan was, was a really good football player. Uh, he was offsides, you know, Brian. I'm just he ignoring that silly comment. <laughs> uh, you know, so so that it, it makes it a little bit different, but still, there's a difference between Connor Radigan, with all due respect, and facing a, you know, if they were going to get CJ Williams and a Morin Walker in practice because they signed those guys even if they weren't playing, and I think those were those those issues can can really hurt you. Irish Shy Town asked the question, Brian. Do you see Tobias Merriweather starting the season with the wide receiver depth concerns? Tobias will not start this year, most likely because of depth concerns. If Tobias starts this year, it's most likely going to be because he's just too good not to start. So I I would want to reframe that a little bit, Ryan, to make it more uh, to where how I see the scenario. Do Do you have a response to either the question or to my answer? 
to it. It's it's a tough one for me because I think either way, Tobias Merriweather is going to play a lot this year. I, I agree with you. I think that it's going to be more about Tobias Merriweather just being that good than just a depth issue, right? Because I, the biggest thing for me is that the uncertainty of the W position, which is their boundary receiver, that is one of the that is even a bigger concern than just the lack of depth, quote unquote, mm-hmm. right? Because you have guys like Deion Colsey who is really talented, but is he going to be able to fend off a guy like a Tobias Merriweather? Like that's mm-hmm. my biggest question mark is that you don't have the for sure answer in the W, right? Like right. that's my thing. So I think Tobias, that combined with his just pure talent is the reasons, in my opinion, why Tobias Merriweather has a chance to start this year. Ryan Loftus says, I'm not convinced Clemson will be that team. So number one, Ryan, I think any conversations we've had about Clemson today mm-hmm. have had to do with their defense. It's fair. And their defense is going to be outstanding this year. But that's because it matches up against the unit we're talking about today. We've also gone on record as saying we're not real high on the Clemson offense. I yeah. don't think it's necessarily schemed well. I don't think it's coached overly well. I question a lot of the new hires that, that Dabo made this offseason. He's put a lot of faith in his former players. We'll see if that pans out or not. I don't like their starting quarterback, although I do love their backup. He's still just a freshman. I think their receiver talent's good, but not elite. Their offensive line is good. It's not great talent-wise. We'll see if Thomas Austin can coach it up. It's just a decent squad with questions of quarterback. I don't think they're going to dominate the ACC the way that they have in the past. So no one here is saying they're going to be that team. No. But their defense will be that defense. That is where... I would disagree with Ryan, and that was the context of what today's conversation of Clemson was was about. I would also say this is that they weren't really that team last year, right? And what right. are they? They still went which, ten and two or right. whatever they were, right? right. I mean, which we predicted, sure. right? They're yeah. they're a, they're a good football team. They have several right. players in that front seven, especially on defense, that are going to be first round draft picks. Like they are, they are not overhyped on the defensive side of the football. The major question is. I don't think it could be quite as bad offensively as it was last year because last year was awful. And there are some players on offense that you can get excited about, like Will Shipley, for instance. And like, we'll see what the quarterback position looks like. I I agree with that completely. I tend to think that there'll be a better team than last year, but I still don't think they're going to be an elite football team. I don't. I, I don't. I think the offense has to take too much of a massive step up in one offseason for it to be to that level. So I agree mm-hmm. with Brian that I don't think it's going to be the Clemson that we have seen in recent years. I think it's going to be better than last year, but I still don't think they're going to be a great team. I think they're going to be a good football team. And right. Yeah. We'll take that for what it is. Yep. Brian J. Irish says Notre Dame can end a lot of the debate with their talent image. If they can beat Ohio state and or Clemson win the big games and everything else will fall into place. I would say Agreed. they change that statement if they go one and one in those two games and one of those games is a down to the wire four quarter, they just, you know, it, if it looked, I'll say this, if the, if this season, if the Ohio state game is just like the Florida state game was in 2014 without the controversy, just it's a legitimate, they beat you. They had the ball at the end, they scored, they beat you, but you gave them everything you could handle. And then you go beat Clemson in November. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, that, that debate's gone. As yeah. long as there's not like this huge, like you just fall apart, you know, like you had Miami in 2017. As long as you can avoid that. I just think one and one with one of those games being a barn burner to me is enough for that to change. 
because the, 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 the talents change. It's the perception of the talent, which is what Brian is referring to there. I yeah. think, it, and if they go two and zero, Ryan, it's it's a dead argument. I mean, you win those two games, plus you have the number one recruiting class in the country. The argument's over. I mean, it's just not there anymore. I, I mean, even if a team is, even if a, a program has a really good team, it's hard to just go two and zero against Ohio State and Clemson in a given right. year, right? Like that's a really right. that's two of the best teams in college. For anybody football. for Bama for anybody, yes. you beat Ohio State at Ohio anybody. State and Clemson and USC at USC. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, because we we even forget to mention here, Brian. Right? It's like we just talked about that Clemson was down last year. Well, they they lost to the national championships. What was it, ten to seven or some crazy like right. score like that? About the right? Clemson I mean, Georgia game. Clemson Georgia ten game to last three. Year. Yeah, yeah, ten to three. So Clemson was in a very competitive football game. It was an ugly football game. There's no doubt, but right. It wasn't like it wasn't like Georgia just went in and manhandled Clemson. Like they, it was a competitive football game. So. I think that if Notre Dame ends the year 11 and one, and you look at, at a split one and one, I think that you can say that Notre Dame has gotten to that level to your degree, right? But it has to be competitive football in losses. That is to your point, right? Like it can't be a 30 to three loss again. It can't be a 42 to 14. Like it can't be like right. one of those types of even outcomes. a 35 to, to 20, where you're just not really like even if it's a similar game to 2015. Mm-hmm. where you lost by 17, but it's like, even though Notre Dame in the second half, like scored to make it 28, 21, you're just like, okay, well, how's this going to go down there and score? You, you just, you just, you knew you were going to win that game. You knew they were the better team. They were clearly the better team. Even a game like that, where it's only a 17 point loss, Ryan would add to that perception. Right. I mean, that because like Bama goes on and gets curb stomped by Clemson and no, eh, it's just a bad game for Bama. Because right. it was. That's just abnormal. That's not normally how things go for Alabama. But for Notre Dame, it's like, oh, well, here we go again. You just don't belong in the field there. So I think even a game like that, where just even a 17, 14-point game where the other team was just clearly better than you, I think fuels that that conversation. Uh, a blowout, definitely. A blowout makes it to where even beating Clemson doesn't change anything. Eh, Clemson's 100%. not the team that they were. Because that's what exactly what they'll say. Eh, Clemson's not the team they've been in the past. Right. And they'll be right. That's why you need that either a win over Ohio State and a close loss to Clemson or a really competitive loss to Ohio State and a win over Clemson. And I think someone in the I think someone in the chat said you also need to score. Right. Like I think that a lot of the negativity is about if the offense can show up in a big game. And I agree with that. I do. I agree with that. I don't think that you can like even if it's a if you lose 17 to seven or 17 to 10, I don't think it changes their perception as much because the offense has been the one for the most part. Right. That hasn't shown up in the big game. That right. is absolutely true. Because if you beat, if you beat, let's just say Notre Dame beats Clemson the way that Georgia did last year, mm-hmm. I, I think I think a lot of the questions that you have about this offense are not going away. Hundred percent, understandably so, and they shouldn't. They shouldn't. Next question, Irish Shy Town. How would I'm going to ask you this, Ryan? How would mm-hmm. Steve Angeli do if he had to start this year? Because I, I think I so think... much of that has to do with the questions that we talked about today. Right. I, I, so this is the thing, right? I, I, I think that at, I think that what Tyler, what makes Tyler Buckner such a attractive option as a quarterback is that I think that he can make a lot of players around him better if he's clicking, right? If everything is kind of moving in the right direction. I do think Steve Angeli can operate in an offense where everything around him is going well early on in his career, right? Like, I think that if, if, the wide receivers are playing well. They have some after catch ability. You're able to just get the football out of your hands quick. You have a solid running game. 
I think that he can function in that offense. I just don't think that he necessarily is going I, – well, I, I definitely don't think that he's going to elevate the players around him. So mm-hmm. to your point, Brian, it's if you throw him in at the beginning of the year and let's say the wide receivers are still getting their, you know, getting their bearings, offensive line is getting better, but it's not the best offensive line that we're going to see during the year, I think that Steve Angeli could struggle because they're going to force him into trying to beat them, right? Like that's the, that's the worry that I have, but if everything's clicking, I think that he's not going to kill you. It's just, he's not going to necessarily elevate anybody early on in his career. Can he manage a a really good season like Matt Lavecchio? He's better than Matt Lavecchio was. Sure. Right. But yeah, he's going to be, just get the ball out to your dudes and that would have to be it. Irish Shy Town says, Brian, how much input do you see Coach Freeman having uh, calling offensive plays during games? I actually think he'll have some, but it'll be differently than you think. So what I think it'll be is more of he'll be sort of that that bridge between the offense and defense. Hey, Tommy, listen, defense is gassed, right? I need you to slow it down a little bit this next series, right? Like sometimes, big picture, it's not necessarily ideal to have a two-play 80-yard drive for a touchdown. Now, of course you take it, but it's like, huh, defense, get back out there. Because you may just give it back because your defense is gassed, right? And so I think it'll be some of that kind of stuff. I think that if Coach Reese and Coach Freeman have the relationship, I, I think and hope that they have, there will be times where like, you know, hey, look, Coach, you know, what what, do you, what are you seeing in this defense? Like, we're having a hard time with this. What are you seeing? Hey, Tommy, here's – I think it'll be kind of like that kind of thing. But I think it's going to be more so with both sides of the ball is, hey, you know, hey, Al – you know, we need, we need this right here, right? Like we need you guys mm-hmm. to, you know, on, uh, you know, this kind of thing to help the offense out or Hey, in more so the offense, Hey, Tommy, I, I, I we need to come out this next series and, and just maybe slow the tempo down. Cause our guys just need a breather. Yeah. You know, that, that other team is going up tempo and our guys are gassed, you know, and, and, um, or late for second quarter, Hey, you know, we get the ball, we need to go in our four minute offense because we need to not have to put the defense back on the field to let them recover from the tempo of the first half of the heat. And then they also get halftime. So it'd be, it'd be stuff like that is where he would have a say on play calling. Not so much. Hey, Tommy, I want to run double posts with a, you know, a, 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 a mini wheel from the back out of the backfield here. It may, but it may be like, Hey, Tommy, I'm watching this. Are you seeing what they're doing here with their backs? You know, yeah, coach, I got it. You know, or no, what do you, he, yeah. When you guys do this, their backside safety walks down. I would like to see that kind of stuff. As long as they have, yeah, there's a time and a place for that, you know, mm-hmm. where Tommy's trying to make a call and the head coach is jumping on, hey, do this. That would be happened in the past. It's not going to be like that. It, sure. it, it's going to be more of just kind of the bridging the two sides of the ball. Anything you want to add to that, Ryan? Well, I was just thinking about for a second, do you think that defensive players for teams, I'm thinking about like the Chip Kelly Oregon team or a yeah. Colt Brennan Hawaii team, the defensive players are, are at any point are like, guys, can you stop scoring so darn quick? Yes. Man? Can you please just can stop? Please catch a breath. This? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I agree though. I, I I think the pace of the game is a big mm-hmm. talking point for me, right? It's like, to your point. It's like, Let's slow it down here. Let's pick it up here. Are you seeing this? I don't think it's necessarily him calling plays, that type of input. I think it's more understanding what point of the game you are because that's what an in-game coach is supposed to be, right? That's what a head coach is supposed to – those situations and understand when to switch stuff up. So I think that you're correct in that that regard. Next question here is from Marcel. What's up, fam? What's the deal with Jabron Payne? Is he just rehabbing? Is he available this season? He's available. 
my understanding is he's healthy. He's been going through workouts. It's just kind of like you're not going to really know what to get from him, Marcel, until you see him with pads on. Because, you know, I was talking with somebody the other day, and it's just like haven't seen the kid take a healthy snap of football since a sophomore year of high school. Right. So what he's doing running around in, in shorts and stuff doesn't really tell you a whole lot. Uh, so, it, it, you know, he's going to need some time because he hasn't really played a lot of football. I mean, he rushed for like a little over 200 yards last year. Got hurt in the first game of his junior year. He hadn't played a lot of football. So I think he's going to just need some time. But, I, but, but Marcel, I don't think that's rehabbing as much as just getting his legs back underneath him and getting kind of back into the flow of playing football at the level he, he used to. And I, I hope he can get back to being that guy that he was as a sophomore because he was a pretty good player back then. Irish Shytown Ryan, which offensive player who is not a projected starter do you see making the most impact? It's a good question. Not projected as being a starter that I think can make the most impact. I mean, I think that there's a few guys, if I'm being honest, right? Like, I mean, let me just take a couple of the skill position players, for instance. I, I think that if Chris Tyree is the starting running back, I think Audric Estimate is going to have a huge impact offensively. I think that one of the wide receivers, it could be Tobias Merriweather, if he is not the starter early on, he can make a huge impact. And then I think a, a quiet impact could be a couple for a couple of the offensive linemen that had a lot of playing time last year, but now we're more of kind of those swing players behind the scene. Like I think that if Andrew Kristoffic is not a starter, that I think that he is a vital player for this offense because I think mm-hmm. he can back up guard. I think he plays center. He even played tackle early on in his career. Not saying that he's going to be the backup tackle, but he gives you a little bit of alignment versatility, which I think can be huge on a unit that. I mean, Jared Patterson's had some injuries. Josh Lugg's had some injuries. Zeke Carell's had some injuries. There might be some spots where maybe Andrew Kristoffic needs to come in and he needs to fill a fill a void and fill a role. So I think that he is a vital mm. player to this offense from a depth perspective up front. Archer has the question, and we were talking about comparing Lorenzo Styles to Jackson Smith and Jigba. He said, uh, "How many snaps did Lorenzo play last year versus those other guys?" I know Jackson Smith and Jigba's freshman year was COVID year, and he was sitting behind Alave, Wilson, and Williams. So Jackson Jackson Smith and Jigba played 162 snaps as a freshman. Lorenzo played 249. That's only one, basically one full game more. However, 65 of Lorenzo came in the last game of the year. If you even take that game out, which gets them about uh, 12 snaps apart. Lorenzo still had 16 catches for over 200 yards, which far surpasses the production that Jackson Smith and Jigba had. So uh, even if you take out the bowl game, that puts them on about an even playing field. From a snap standpoint, Lorenzo still produced more. And again, don't take that as some kind of insult to Jackson Smith and Jigba. I don't think I don't think the the point you're you're getting. It's more of you don't need to have played a ton of snaps the year before to then break out the next year. And if Notre Dame fans were in a situation where they had a Jackson Smith and Jigba coming off a year in which he had 10 catches for 47 yards, they wouldn't have been excited like, oh, he's about to break out and have 90 catches for 1,600 yards. That's where we were coming from on that. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Roy Boy, was there was a conversation raging during the, the chat about Nick Saban, and I only caught part of it. And I want to address this. Somebody said Nick Saban didn't have a lot of success up north, and, and I'm going to disagree with that. So, first of all, he, his first head coaching job was at Toledo in 1990. He went 9-2 and two and tied for the lead in the MAC. He took over a Michigan State team that was honestly not really good. And his overall record isn't great. Uh, but remember, he took over a team the year before under George Perlis and went 0-11. And, and they went to a bowl game his first three years. They went 6-6 six and six in 1998. And then the last year, they went 10-2. and two. So he rebuilt that program. It, there's no doubt about it. Like he he did very he did well there. There was another question I want to address too. People talking about the LSU you and how many titles you Pete Carroll won two titles, if you count the way they were given back then, where the AP and the coaches poll both hand out titles. So USC won the title outright in 04. In 03, LSU won the title from the coaches. USC won the title from the AP. So that's so Nate Saban actually at LSU only won like a half a title. If we're going to use it the same way that we compared to like Michigan or the Georgia tech, Colorado from 1990, uh, he only won the coach's title that year of the major, the major uh, championships that are handed out. And, and USC and Pete Carroll in 03 won the, uh, the, the AP because at the time, they they were not tied into you didn't have to vote for the B, the I believe the AP did not vote for the BCS championship uh, because that game was uh, LSU and Oklahoma so I believe the coaches poll just kind of gave it to whoever won that but the AP was not beholden to uh, to that because of the fact that Oklahoma had no business playing it should have been USC versus LSU Oklahoma had no business playing in the national title game in two thousand three. They got beat 35 to 7 by Kansas State in the Big 12 title game and still finished in the top two. So when people talk about go back to the BCS, the BCS was garbage. Like garbage. Again, Oklahoma lost 35 to 7 to Kansas State in the Big 12 title game and still got in over USC that year. That's just stupid. I mean, USC was clearly the second best team that year. UCLA had a loss early in the year. In 2003, they lost in September to Cal in three overtimes and then went on. They beat number six, number six Auburn at the time, beat an SEC team on the road 23 to nothing. And then also that year beat Washington State 43 to 16. And Washington State at the time was ranked six. Washington State that year under Mike Price finished in the top 10 and they curb stomped them. And most of their games all year after the this Cal game were not competitive. Like that should have been LSU versus USC. And with all due respect to Nick Saban's football team, they do not beat USC in the title game. They do not. So uh, that would uh, definitely not have been uh, an ideal situation for LSU. The other thing is too is uh, somebody said that LSU had two losses that year. No, they didn't. That's the 07 team that won it with less miles. 
Nick Saban's team only had one loss. They lost 19 to seven at home to Florida. Uh, it's the 07 team that won it with two losses. They beat Ohio State in the, the championship game, beat that Beanie Wells Ohio State team in the championship uh, game. I think Beanie, he got hurt in the first half, didn't he? He didn't even play in the second half. I don't he think. may have. He may have. Yeah. He was a good player, man. He was. He was. That I yeah, he, he definitely was. It was was it 06, the Michigan Ohio State game, that great Michigan Ohio State game, and he took that ball around midfield, just ripped it, just housed it. Yeah, yeah. sounds about right. So 99 problems, BK1. Do you see a possibility that Tobias could be the X, Colsey the W, and Styles the Z? Or do you think it's more likely that Styles is the X, Tobias the W, and Lindsey Davis at the Z? It just depends, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, could we see a starting lineup with Colsey and Tobias in it? It's possible. That's that one. That one would surprise me a little bit more, to be honest right. with you. Right. I, I don't even think it, but I don't think it's a given that if Tobias and uh, and uh, you know if Tobias is in the starting lineup, he'll it, with Styles and or Lindsey or Davis, he'll be the W. But you know, don't be surprised if, if maybe there's some roles where he's playing X and somebody else like a Jaden Thomas or Deion Colsey's playing W at times. But Tobias is going to start out his career at w well i make sure i'm clear he's going to start out his career at w i'm not saying he's going to be the starter at w if, if colsey and tobias are on the field that is a massive wide receiver room yeah. do you tend to think brian that it's going to look a lot smaller than that comparatively like would more you be, often than not yeah. more often than not yeah i would honestly have some 12 personnel stuff where i do put both of them on the field together i would just play big boy football for a series just hey, back shoulder it and run read zones and all that other kind of stuff and and go from there. Somebody said that Kenny Minchie's not a four star. Yes, he is. Uh, Kenny Minchie is a four star recruit actually, and I believe it's uh, at least one service has him in the top two hundred. Correct, Ryan? So, I believe so. Um, yep. Yes, yep. Kenny Minchie is a is ranked as the number one hundred and seventy nine player in the country by ESPN. He's also ranked as a four star by On Three as the number two hundred seventy six player in the country. 247 Sports also ranks him as a four-star uh, on their composite and their consensus. So only Rivals doesn't rank him as a three-star recruit. So uh, you're not going to want to be on the side of Rivals here contending that he's not a four-star recruit because it's not accurate. He's, he's a good player, man. He's like a very good player, you. yes. Yeah. Michael S. with a super chat. Thank you, Michael. What are the rules? new rules regarding the transfer portal? Only one transfer without penalty or multiple transfers allowed? So just to clear up some of the stuff that's been going around, there was a proposal made that they allow unlimited transfers, which my response was, if you told, if I told you I had a source, this is not true. I'm making a hypothetical. If I told you, Ryan, I have a good on good authority that the leadership of the NCA is purposely trying to destroy their own institution. What would they do differently than what they've done the last three or four years? <laughs> That's a good question, man. That's a good question. I, ugh. They literally propose to just uh, like you're having this big problem with payers, players getting like, you know, under the table. So now you're just going to make it even easier. So kids can just literally transfer every for me. A kid could literally go into the portal every year if he wanted to and just mm-hmm. open himself up for new NIL deals every freaking year. Well, it's professionals. You can't do that in the NFL. There's no professional sport that allows you to do that. You have contracts. You have to honor them. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. so it's just so absurd. It's like, just kill yourselves already, meaning like as an institution. Just yes. if you don't want to be in, involved in this anymore, just bow out. Hey, look, you do you in, in football and, and we're just going to handle everything else. But this, this the, the fact that the NCAA proposed this, it's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. But it has not passed. It is They actually said we're going to wait God. on it. 
So as of right now, it's still just a one-time transfer rule. After the second time you transfer, you have to sit out. I think the one-time transfer rule is stupid without except there needs to be exceptions, but mm-hmm. I and I've laid them out before, but I think it's absolutely stupid. And allowing kids to transfer whenever, however often, is one of the stupidest things the NCAA has ever done. And that's saying something because they've done a lot of stupid things, especially the last five years. You're not it's wrong. A, it's a joke organization. It really is. Yes. Corey D with the super chat. Thank you, Corey. Hey, Brian. Well, it's August. Any news regarding the uniforms? Man, I'm going to be honest with you, Corey. Did you read the two Intel pieces that I put out last yesterday and today? Do you think anyone or myself really cared about asking about are the uniforms going to look different? I, I understand that this is important to you, but honestly, it's just not on the top of my list. And I only get so many opportunities with my sources to get Intel. I'm not going to use one of my bullets on are the uniform, what the uniforms are going to look like. Because I have, I don't care. I just, there's nothing I can do about it. And so, um, and, and I understand it's important to you, Corey. I'm not being disrespectful to you. It's just, I'm just not going to ask. I just don't care. Uh, and so it's never something that when I'm talking like, oh, I knew what I meant to ask you. Are you guys have new uniforms this year? I just honestly, I don't care. <laughs> I doubt they're going to look much different this year. I doubt. I hope they do. I hope they change the color of the pants. I just don't know. I just don't know. Brian, you're awesome, man. You're so funny. Thanks. <laughs> I, just, I don't mean to be this because I love Corey. Corey's a great, uh, you know, he's, he's been around from the beginning of this whole thing. It's just, I don't care. I just, and and I only get so much time with these, with this my, the sources that I have. That's just not something that I'm going to, hey, sorry, I couldn't get any updates on Keon Keeley or the team, but I spent my whole time talking about the new uniforms. I'll, I'll DM Marcus Freeman and ask him. Yeah, get I got that. you, Corey. Anyway, I love you, Corey. It's just, it's just, it's just not something that ever pops in my head, man. And I really don't mean that as a disrespectful thing to you, Ryan Loftus with a super chat. Thank you, Ryan. What will in Notre Dame's blue chip ratio be if they land Allsbury, Minchie, and Edwards the coming few days? I don't know what the blue chip ratio is. Do you have any idea what I'm that not, is? I'm not sure what it is either. I mean, I guess. Or, or is he asking which one of these kids do we consider blue chip, if any? I have is that no what, idea. Is that what the I've never is? heard of the blue chip ratio before. I'm not sure either. Ryan, if you want to pop it in to the chat and just explain what you mean by that, would love to answer it. Just not 100% sure. I don't know what that means. All I know is they'll have the number one ranked class. That's all I know. Yes. Adam says, Brian, uh, and, and and Adam, I did see your comments about Lou, and I'm not going to bring him up because I just don't feel like I um, – I don't deserve that. So lose, lose my guy. And, but I do, it means a lot for me to what you said, Brian, do you think the transfer rules will ever go back to what it was? Have to sit out a year and have a case. I not on the NCAA. The NCAA is so cowering in fear of being sued mm-hmm. that they're just letting you do whatever. This is why they're not all oh, NCAA step. They're not because they're afraid they're going to get sued. And um, there's just feckless leadership. They're a bunch of cowards. Uh, that just um, honestly should be embarrassed for what they've done to a, a great sport for decades, for decades. It's just now all kind of coming home to roost for them now. But they have their greed and and stupidity and and just lack of competent people in positions of authority has been uh, has has destroyed, in my opinion, a, a great game. Changes were needed. And instead of adapting those needed, those changes, and then avoiding things like the Austin lawsuit and the O'Bannon lawsuit and other things, they allowed it to get to that point. And once they finally lost, they were so afraid because they won, they won lawsuit after law. I mean, they won in the courts all the time. And then the first time they lost big, they just turned into a bunch of little freaking cowards. 
And I said, fine, we'll let everything happen. And every single one of those people that's in, in any way involved in leadership in the NCAA should be fired immediately and replaced with competent people who are willing to take a stand. And you know what? Who else is responsible? The presidents of the schools. Because you're allowing this to happen. Because really, at the end of the day, the institutions make up the NCAA. Mm-hmm. And they're all a bunch of cowards. And they don't care about young people. Have them for a long time. They care about one thing and one thing only. Making money. And that's right. a sad thing. So many things I used to be so against. Unionizing players. I For my life, stupid. Right? But now it's like, you're signing these billion-dollar deals. You're making USC and UCLA fly across the freaking country for lacrosse so you can make all this money off football. And, and I'm supposed to just say, ah, no, the players don't deserve their cut. At this point in time, you're just you're you're destroying everything that, that makes this sport unique for greed. So you know what? Why shouldn't the players get a cut of that? And I used to be against that. I used to be very much against that. But now the way that they're going about things, Ryan, why not? Mm-hmm. Why not? You're letting everything else go on. Why not? Yeah. And it's just it's sad. And I get a little fired up it's about it in sad. case you haven't noticed. I mean, it's very sad. Um, on a slightly lighter note, so a couple people in the chat chimed in, Brian. Apparently, the, the blue chip ratio is the percentage of five stars and four stars in a class. Okay. Or on a roster. So Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'd have to do the math. I don't have an answer. <laughs> All I know is it'll be the, the number one class at the point. And it'll be a guaranteed top three to four class, in my opinion. So other yes. than that. I have no idea. All right. So here we go with some more. Justin Hancock. Actually, let's go down here to Mark E. Stewart. Mark with the Super Chat. Thank you, Mark. Uh, what are your well, – Mark, you and I are going to have words after this, buddy. What do your sources think about the uniform bands? <laughs> See, Mark's my guy. So if you knew if you knew, Mark's my guy. So I, I love you, Mark. You guys do a great job. Hopefully we get good news tonight. <laughs> Thanks for the super chat, Mark. I'm going to send you a DM as soon as this show's over for that that comment. Justin Hancock, Brian, will you be giving your halftime analysis each game on the board? I enjoyed reading your thoughts on Twitter. Just didn't know if you would put it on the board. Yeah, so I did not put my uh, opinion of – I did not put my analysis of games on Twitter last year. I used to just kind of do that every play. I just kind of give my thoughts. Uh, Once we we launched the premium board – uh, I pretty much went away from um, that and it's now going to be a premium thing. Twitter uh, does not pay me. Uh, they don't generate hardly any revenue at all. The way that Twitter's algorithms are, uh, they make it very hard to, uh, to, to really make money off of them. For example, Facebook, for example, produces way more page views, you know, clicks to our site when we po- publish stories on Facebook than, than Twitter does. That's way more to think about. Yeah, That's really crazy way to more. Think about. Huh. And uh, and Twitter just tries to make it harder for for you to put your own stuff. It's all about them making their money. So uh, I just have no respect for Twitter in, in many different ways. And they don't really do anything to help me grow my business. And so I just don't put that kind of stuff out there for free anymore. So to be on the message board and I'll give I so Justin, to your point, I will be giving like a halftime recap. And then, of course, my post-game observations article. But I'll also just be kind of giving my thoughts as the game goes along. And we did a live thread every game last year, and we'll do that again this year. I'm thinking about doing something to where 
there's a, a thread that is where people can contact in, but then also a store uh, like a, uh, a thread that maybe can be attached. That's just us sharing our stuff. I've had people request that as like, Hey, can you, can you lock the chat? So only you guys can comment I'm like, well, that's not fun. Cause I want people to be able to share their thoughts and opinions too. Mm-hmm. But I also understand that people, some people just, they want to see what we have to say. So we're, we're still working through that of kind of what exactly our, our in-game content is going to look like. Somebody asked if we're going to be doing post-game shows, Brian. Yes, we will. Uh, we will definitely be having post-game shows. Obviously this year, we it won't just be me and Vince. Um, we'll have Ryan on some of the post-game shows. We'll have Sean Davis on some of the post-game shows. The only person that won't be on most of the post-game shows is Sean Styers, uh, because he will be doing, he's the beat writer. And so he'll be doing, you know, interviews and stuff like that. He may pop on at times, but he uh, he won't uh, he won't be there for that exclusively at that point in time. So that is what we are doing. So that is going to be it, Ryan, for today's show. I thank everybody for being a part of the show today. Thank you all for uh, for just everything. Obviously, we had a ton of signups last week on the message board, so we're growing. People getting ready for the season. If you haven't done so, you got to do it. So. Go to boards at irishbreakdown.com. Check out what we have to offer. Hit that like button, everybody. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. Uh, let me see here. Oh, we had a super chat here from, from Michael S. I want to get in. It says, Kelly, around the bowl game last year, said that Notre Dame would be a continuous top five recruiter. Did he ever do anything to make that real or just talking? And that was what Brian Kelly always did. He just talked. He said what he needed to say and then just, you know, talk. Like like when he said the players wanted Jeff Quinn as the offensive line coach. No, they didn't. <laughs> uh, Fashawn uh, A.L. Flip, another super chat. Fashawn, I read somewhere that Jack Swarbrick was next for NCAA president. Any insight? That was true a couple years ago. I think Jack Swarbrick's at the point now where he, Jack Swarbrick saved the NCAA, in my opinion, about a decade ago. With the when the original super conference conversation happened, and you had Texas was in Oklahoma were talking about leaving for the Pac-12, about how mm-hmm. things change in a relatively short period of time. The Pac-12 was trying to steal Texas and Oklahoma, so they started all this. And what happened was is Jack stepped in and, and did a lot behind the scenes to save that. Now I think with what the NCAA is doing, I think Jack. This is just my opinion and just talking to some sources, this isn't something Jack Swarbrick's ever said or someone that's necessarily, you know, that repeating what Jack has said, but just some things I've heard. I believe that Jack's at the point now where he's totally fine letting the NCAA die in a new <laughs> entity taking its place. And now that might be something he might be want to be a part of, but I think now he realizes the NCAA is dead and, and there's no one there to save it. So instead of trying to, to, to take charge of a dying institution, Take be a part of killing the institution and then building up its replacement the way you think it should be done. I think that would be something that would interest Jack Swarbrick a whole lot more than the, being the next NCA president. So, but that is a, a very good question and a, and, a, and something that uh, we've heard people talk about before in the past. Now we're definitely done. Okay, so everybody, uh, thank you so much for being a part of what we're doing today. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. If you're listening via podcast, give us a five-star review. And as Ryan said earlier, sign up for the message boards. I promise you, you will not regret it. Boards at IrishBreakdown.com. Have a great day, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon, 6 o'clock, right? We'll talk to you then, and then we'll talk to you again at 7.30. So everybody have a great, great rest of your day. We'll see you again very, very soon at 7.30. 
for the Irish Breakdown podcast, talking about Jaden Osbury's pending decision. Definitely be there for that on the Irish Breakdown podcast. Mark Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.